Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today for another episode. I am very grateful today. Mary Ruddick, the nutritionist, has come back onto the Mindful Movement Podcast. She was a guest not long ago where she kind of blew our minds with some nutritional info. She has just a tremendous story of healing that she has endured herself, and she's learned so many lessons through that journey. And she has found a gift in giving those lessons to others and helping them enable their healing. And that is her website, enableyourhealing.com. I definitely recommend you checking it out. Mary was nice enough to come back to help me personally deal with I guess a regression of my healing that I've experienced recently in order to allow the audience to kind of witness how that, what that process looks like, at least um, a somewhat surface level. You could get very in depth with going over all kinds of testing and lab work, but just from kind of the general, what do the symptoms look like? What's going on in your life? And then trying to navigate decisions based on that information from a place of experience and wisdom and a relentless desire to keep learning that Mary seems to uh, present with. So this was a little challenging for me personally because honestly, um, you know, I don't, I do get personal once in a while, but I really had to put myself out there. It required a bit of vulnerability that I haven't experienced lately to talk about symptoms I'm dealing with. Sometimes I feel like being, I guess, a health enthusiast and someone that helps others on their health journeys, it's almost as if it's a poor reflection on me when I'm not at my best, as if if I can't heal myself, then what do I have to offer others? And psychologically and emotionally, that could be challenging for me to kind of admit and accept But, uh, you know, we're all in this together and I want to help others. And I know that if I continue to learn how to help myself, I could continue to help others. And Mary's role is just tremendous in that journey. I've worked with a lot of nutritionists over the years and I feel like I've gotten useful bits and pieces from everyone. But, uh, you know, Mary is definitely someone special and I'm excited to implement the things that she's recommended Now this is not medical advice, so even if you share like a similar symptom, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that what she's dishing out to me is what you should try, but then there may be more than one way to get from A to B. What's amazing is when you learn about Mary's work, she works with just a host of different conditions with a host of different medical diets. And it's really amazing how, what role that our diet and our nutrition can play in our healing. And I love the holistic approach that Mary takes where, you know, the, it is kind of a lifestyle thing. It's not just the food, it's when you eat it, it's what you're doing in the morning, it's how much sunlight you're getting, it's what you're doing in the evening, it's how much, you know, time of stillness or meditation you're getting. It's the temperature of your showers. I mean, it's really in depth. So I'm excited about following through with her recommendations. And I'm excited for her to come back after I've done that so I could share with you what that experience was like and, you know, what came out of it and see if there's something to gain and something of value for you guys out there. So I just had a tremendous time talking to Mary again. I look forward to a long lasting relationship where maybe she could just come back every once in a while to the channel and help us. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, that's about it. All right. Mary Ruddick is back on the Mindful Movement podcast. I am so grateful, Mary, that you're here with me today. You were kind enough to, um, to really shed some really powerful insights uh, maybe a few months back on the podcast, and it definitely resonated with a lot of our audience. And you offered up your services to kind of help me in real time navigate a health issue and kind of let the audience, I guess, witness the process and get an idea of what working with a qualified nutritionist even looks like. And maybe get to see the framework that you work within and how you navigate it. Um, first, I guess, just say hello again to the audience. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Mary is in uh, what sounds like paradise now in South Africa, swimming with penguins and dolphins. That's it doesn't pretty, even sound real, but it's true. It doesn't sound real, but I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> so the audience has heard, I guess, bits and pieces of my health journey over the last few years. Um, but you haven't really. You have very small data points. Mm -hmm. And I, frankly, I'm a little terrified of this process because this feels, I guess, very vulnerable putting... You know, generally I'm very like um, pro like individual freedom and like medical sovereignty and like what's going through your situations, kind of none of anyone else's business. Yeah. And I am choosing to put my business out there um, in hopes that it helps other people. I know that I've made a lot of mistakes. Well, I don't want to say mistakes. I've learned a lot of lessons and gone through a lot of like trial and error, some of which was like really expensive, both time-wise, financially, and like uh, all the re physical regressions along the way of kind of bouncing around on a healing journey. And it means a lot to me if I can help someone maybe avoid some of those steps and have a more like productive linear approach to their healing, if that makes sense. Yes, 
I am completely on board and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Same reason. I, yeah. I am so grateful that you're doing this. Um, so maybe I could, would you like me to give, since you know very little bit about my background. I know nothing except that you've had Lyme. I don't know how long you've had it. I don't know what you've tried. So we'll go through all of it. But first, before we start, I really want to commend you because I, even for me personally, I didn't talk about my health until long after remission. It's such a sensitive, uh, tender spot in us when we're dealing with health issues. And it's very personal and it's easy to uh, awaken those emotions of vulnerability of like, am I enough? Why can't I fix this? Why am I different? Why haven't I healed? Um, so I, I think your bravery is beyond actually, oh, and really courageous you. and feel free not to publish this if you want, like <laughs> totally fine, totally fine. But, um, but my goal is, is the same as yours. When I got through illness, I felt like, uh, people do not need to wait a decade to learn what okay. I learned. And Although, yes, we can look at all of our trials and tribulations as part of the journey, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have them? <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> yes. And I know for sure, you know, I, I did the same. I made many things, lots of costly things that didn't help. Uh, but for me, because I became a practitioner afterwards, they actually really were quite valuable because I learned what did and didn't work for certain things, at least in my own body, not to say that'll work for everyone. But I find with Lyme in particular, and we'll see if you have other things going on too, I find with Lyme, there's so much misunderstanding and miseducation outside of the veterinary field. The vets are very good with Lyme. Yeah, very good because they can't blame it on placebo. Right, they can't blame it on emotions or anything else. And so they're very good, they're actually very good with autoimmunity as well. But uh, but with Lyme, I see a lot of people that just uh, become skeletons of who they were over time. In uh, many parts of America, the go-to treatment is typically IV antibiotics. And I just met the first person that I've ever seen that help. I've always said historically, like I've never seen that help anyone. I've only seen that make people more weak, uh, especially if it's not caught within the first month. Typically with Lyme, uh, like if I was bitten by a tick, I, I like to give examples if it was me. So you know my genuine, like <laughs> what I would do. If it was me and I was bit by a tick, especially in Lyme rich territory, I actually even given my history, I actually would do antibiotics if it was right then. If it was more than a month or even more than probably two weeks after the, the tick bite, I would not because I just haven't seen it be effective. Uh, what I've seen be effective is more of working on the person's immune system, rebuilding the immune system, getting your own body strong enough, rebuilding the nervous system so you don't have that long-standing nervous system damage that you can get with Lyme. And then if you need to still treat it using a few key herbs, but not before. The kill approach, I just don't see be too successful. You know, there's the rare birds out there that will respond to that. Most people will get more weak and it's treatment after treatment after treatment uh, that can really just negate the, the healing process. So let's dive into you. <laughs> so okay. tell me, how long have you been dealing with health issues? When did they start? Um, well, I guess let me give you a little background of my history so that even before that, so you can kind of see the foundation that I had going in to the tick bite um, because I, I was really like, I grew up on, you know, the standard American diet, you know, the, my, my mom was aware enough to not give us like fruit loops, 
but it was like still like uh you know frosted flakes like what yeah right like it wasn't (laughs) a big difference or um but you know we had enough nutrition that we probably didn't have any major deficiencies but you know we still ate junk we didn't really know better and then when i was a teenager i got into like drugs and alcohol and um you know it was like fifth well I recall like the first time getting drunk at like Passover Seder at eight years old, which not an ideal uh, (laughs) thing for someone to experience. But when I was 15, I got introduced to alcohol and drugs for like recreational purposes. Mm -hmm. And I really fell in love with it. And I didn't know till long after, really till I quit alcohol, which I'm, I'm just past five years now, like what I was really soothing, which was all, you know, pain. Like I've heard it referenced that like people will point to a drug and say, you know, this is the gateway drug. Pain is the gateway drug. Yes, it is. You know, so, um, but like, I just fell in love with it. So like, I, I would, I wouldn't like get wasted every night but i would consume very regularly but not like high amounts but then eventually in adulthood those amounts started to grow i went through a little cocaine addiction for a few years an opiate addiction which really i think um, set the stage for kind of like a slower motility if anybody's taking an uh, an opiate it kind of it's like instant constipation. I don't understand the mechanism that, but it really just slows down the, I guess the, what is it? The migratory motor complex, the thing that makes your food come out the, you know, move through. And, um, and people, I don't think really know how important it is to not be constipated. And some people don't even really understand what it makes. Cause like the medical definition of constipated is so intensely constipated. Like there's such a broad spectrum of constipation that is constipation before you hit their criteria. But um, so I have this like foundation of, you know, really putting a lot of insults into the body and probably creating a lot of oxidative damage and oxidative stress, um, especially with the alcohol. Because, uh, you know, I would, I would, drink fairly regularly. I would say I drank almost every day for 23 years. Okay. Um, really only getting drunk probably on the weekends, but having some consumption every day. So, you know, they say, you know, all, you know, your health kind of begins in the gut. It's kind of, I think, impossible to have a healthy gut if you're putting hard liquor in it every day. Even if it's a little bit, it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to make healing progress. So I had that foundation, but then I started to change my, my lifestyle. So, you know, almost 20 years ago, started exercising, started to eat healthy food. Now I was still doing like the drinking. I had basically quit opiates, uh, quit cocaine a long time before that wasn't using cannabis anymore. And really, um, I was still eating some junk food, like I would have maybe a burger or pizza for lunch, but like, 
I would have the salmon and rice and broccoli, what I thought to be like a really healthy balanced meal for dinner. So I was starting to get nutrition and I was exercising. So that I went like that for a long time, fairly successfully and made a lot of progress. I was racing, uh, running races, foot races, triathlons, uh, dove pretty deep into triathlon and uh, d- done about 35 triathlons over like a seven year period, probably about 200 running races. So I was very active um, and I was eating good things, but I was also still eating some bad things and still drinking. And then um, in 2017, so I quit drinking in 2016. In 2017, I was feeling great. Um, I mean, I was exercising. I was sleeping enough, probably not as much as I could, but I was always willing to take like a power nap in the afternoon to kind of make up for a non-optimal night's sleep. And it seemed like that was enough for me to compensate my way through life pretty well. Um, and I loved exercising outside. I live with uh, meadows and woods and I like being in them. Ticks live there. So uh, one day, I, I know it was a Sunday. I know this is the day it happened because it was a Sunday and I was in like bliss in the middle of my exercise in the sun. It's, it's uh, June in Maryland which is like warm. It's just a beautiful time to be outside. I'm in the meadow, like running and doing some yoga and like got the music in my ears. Perfect day. And I lay down in the meadow and I'm just like loving life on top of the world. And I know there's ticks out there. But like, I've decided to not live with fear at this time about them. And just and like in this moment, this is a, just a perfect day for me. The next day, I'm in my car. So this is Monday. And I feel this like a sensation in my gut all of a sudden as if a chemical had been injected into me. Mm-hmm. And I was like instantly like, oh, something's wrong. I feel sick. And I didn't know really, you know, I had no idea what it was. I had just taken a bite of lunch and I was like, was that food poisoning? But I remember it was like something that should be relatively benign. So it couldn't be that. And then progressively that week, I feel worse. And then I'm, I'm on a massage table that Thursday and I still feel like crap. It's kind of like the flu, but without the fever. Yeah. The massage therapist, I'm so grateful. I was on the table. She says, what happened to your leg? Did you get a bruise? And I knew right away because I've heard about Lyme. I live in a kind of limey area. Me too. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, does it look like a bullseye? And she pauses for a moment and she says, yeah. And I like sprung up and here I am naked. So she got like really rare. And I'm like, I got to get to the emergency. Like I got to get to a urgent care. I need to get antibiotics in me immediately. Like I have Lyme. I, I knew because I felt crap on Monday and it got progressively worse. And it was like, all right, this makes sense. And I've always in the back of my head, I think been a little terrified of Lyme. 
saying it's natural in that area. Yeah, because you hear like everybody's got a freaking nightmarish story, which later I learned to shut people up. Because when you tell someone you've experienced Lyme and they want to tell you about their how their cousin how it ruined their life, I'm like, ah, I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want the negative thoughts. I don't want it. Uh, but to come back, so I get in, so I go on the doxycycline, which is, you know, fairly broad spectrum antibiotic for three weeks. I think within a few days, the antibiotics pretty much knocked out the line. Like all the things I was feeling up to that day, you know, they were gone probably by the third day of antibiotics. But then I had to continue taking them because that's what the doctor said. And I didn't really know. I think I would do it different now if I knew. Um, and then I had this time where I'm on them and I have this opportunity to like, what do I do from here? Because some people are like, oh, you should be on it for six weeks or six months. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. So I found a, I guess, a Lyme literate nutritionist and herbalist locally. And she recommended going from the doxycycline when I get off that to like herbal, um, like softer antimicrobials to keep chipping away, but maybe not something as harsh and powerful as the pharmaceutical. Right. And, and now I know like, that's not so benign. Like those herbs are legit. So an antimicrobial herb is an antibiotic. It's nature's antibiotic. Like they don't come without a price also. Absolutely. So I did that for a while. And here for the last, like, I don't know, year or so going into this, I'm eating fairly paleo. So, uh, you know, not a lot of like, oh, relatively just a whole food based diet, mm -hmm. which later I've learned, you know, that also doesn't come without a price. Also, a lot of things that are thought of as being healthy. And I know we talked about this past, I've had Saladino on the podcast, like, starting to understand plants, you know, have their poisons in them too. And for some people that could handle them pretty well. What I think is that if you've had a bunch of antibiotics, you're less likely to be able to handle them for a number of reasons. Yeah. So, uh, so the, this nutritionist at the time recommends a few diets, one of them being ketosis to try just from like a healing perspective. I think she referred to one diet as like a mito diet, which just sounded like kind of like a, uh, almost like just a whole 30 kind of somewhat restrictive, but paleo diet and um, was feeling all right. And then like this rash started to develop and it started as like this little piece of eczema that was the size of a dime on my leg. So this was November of 17. By February of 18, that rash had covered my entire body. And my doctor had one tool, which was steroid, oral steroid. He sent me to dermatologists. They had two tools, oral steroid and topical steroid. And anytime I would raise the question of like trying to inquire about a cause of this, it was just kind of a ridiculous response. Like, well, if you find out, if you knew, if you knew what caused eczema, you'd be a billionaire. Like, it was just like this cop-out almost. Like, we're not even gonna ask that question. Yeah. 
Um, and then luckily I got introduced to a, I guess, an integrative doc. And for those listening, integrative doc, I guess it's kind of the integration of Western models and Eastern models. They're open-minded, they're, you know, take a natural approach if they can, but they don't shy away from, uh, you know, allopathic style pharmaceutical. And, you know, there's a time and place for everything. Like we're lucky to have all these tools and let's not rule any of them out. That's the general attitude I, I kind of perceive when I'm dealing with the integrative doc. So he does some tests and he says, um, and they're interesting tests. Like one was an eye exam that was testing, I think it's called a visual contrast screen. So it's testing kind of how the optic nerve Smart. can judge like contrast. And I was like, this is strange, you know, and then there's a, and then a bunch of blood work. And there were a couple data points, one being the eye exam. He's like, you know, I think you have potential mold exposure. And I'm like, how do you get that from here? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And now in hindsight, I've learned a lot of people that have Lyme have also, there's like a pretty strong connection between uh, mold exposure and Lyme. So, so I, call to get like a uh, mold inspection of the house. Sure enough, freaking mold covered in our attic and some other areas. So like right above the bedroom where I sleep, like there's just sheets of black in the... (gasps) So that's an expensive process trying to get mold out of the house. Wildly so and stressful. super stressful and and keep in mind this was already like there was a lot of stress in my life not just the getting Lyme but like emotional stress and I I think people don't understand as much the connection of like emotional and mental stress to the physical stress like especially family stress financial stress things that can trigger the nervous system and suppress your immune system um and there was a lot of that at that time, which I know a lot of people would relate. And in hindsight, like I've heard so many stories of people with Lyme that they say like they got it. It was always like around a divorce, the loss of a loved one, or some really emotionally stressful thing, mm-hmm. which I find interesting. Um, so turns out there's mold. So I do all this work and the mash doesn't get better. And I'm just treating it putting like topical steroids. And, you know, he gives me this powerful steroid that basically says, don't use for more than two to three weeks. Well, I had to like, you that didn't to. work for me. Cause if I didn't take use it, like life was bad. Yes. Like bad. I mean, like you can't leave the house, like eczema of your body is kind of can really be debilitating. Completely. Your quality of life plummets my ability to work like plummeted. And I was like, uh, you know, physically weak. I mean, from someone that was doing, that could do probably a sprint triathlon on a day's notice. I went from like crawling from one end of a room to the other would spike my heart rate to like 130, where it should be like 70. And I'd have to lay down and like rest for, a few minutes to recover before I could crawl back. Just to put it in context of like, you know, how the, the, it was manifesting physically. 
Um, soil stroph. So then I went through all these like different paths of trying to detoxify, I guess, biotoxins, mold related mycotoxins, possibly Lyme toxins. Like you don't really know what's affecting you. You know that when you go, I went on antibiotics. So all the good guys in my gut were like compromised. So anything that was like pathogenic or opportunistic, whether they're parasites or the, or candida or whatever, like started to grow. So I went through all these like cleanse protocols and, um, and I moved a lot of stuff. Like they seemed really productive, but nothing really like fixed it for good. There were moments where it's like, Oh, that definitely helps. And I've done some pretty wild detox things, whether they're coffee enemas, which at times have, I feel like have saved my life. And it was really embarrassing to mention that I've tried those. But when your doctor's like, you know, I know this is going to sound crazy, but, you know, people use these and they help. And you learn about there's clinics out there uh, in other countries that have protocols with these that save people's lives. So at this point, like I'm willing to try anything. And that's been a helpful tool. Epsom salt baths, very hopeful tool. The thing I probably rely on the most these days for kind of immediate relief. And in the back of my mind going, like learning all these things in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about this one other thing that I've heard referenced, but it just seems like too much of a rabbit hole to go down, which is oxalates. And the whole time, like I'm eating a, you know, quote unquote healthy diet, which turns out to be super high in oxalate. And my doctor says, you know, it could be that, but it's like, it's a never ending rabbit hole that you're going to go down and it might not be that. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't really know how to handle that. Like, well, do I, I do test for, and he didn't really, at the time, he didn't really know how to test for that. Now there's some reasonable tests for oxalates. And for the listeners, this is how I've learned oxalates and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, these are a plant toxin or poison. They don't really have a function in our physiology and plants use them to hold on to minerals. And, you know, if you've ever had a a kidney stone, chances are it's a calcium oxalate stone. So they're involved in a lot of disease processes of the body, but the common thought is that they're just involved with kidney stones, but really they show up all over the place once you dig in and look at the research. But the general rule of thumb is you could move a decent amount of oxalates out of your body every day, but if you intake more than you can move out because it's poisonous, your body can't just have that poison floating around. So it has this elegant mechanism of hiding it and stashing it in tissues. And it could be organ tissues or whatever kind of tissues. And then when the concentration gradient changes, meaning when you stop intaking oxalates, your body will look at that as an opportunity to try to get rid of this stored poison. In that process, it is impossible I guess not to be exposed to that toxin because it's got to go from a hiding place to getting out through either uh, stool, urine, or through the skin. 
And maybe there's other ways, but from what I understand, those are basically the oh, main. Uh, skin is very okay. common. <laughs> so, um, and that could feel like shit. And they call that oxalate dumping. Mm -hmm. So at some point about a year ago, like I was, before I really went down that rabbit hole, I was feeling better. And I had done a bunch of different things and I don't know what helped. And I could go over like the collection of things I've done maybe, mm -hmm. but I was like 95% better. Like it was a miracle for about six months, which gives me hope now. Cause I'm like, oh man, I've healed from this before. I could do it again. And then come August, September, or maybe October, it started to ramp up again. This is October, 2020. And now I'm like back in a regression. And I've learned a ton about oxalates. I've listened to a ton of people that have gone through healing journeys. And it sounds like it could kind of go in waves, this dumping phenomenon. As you eat more, your body will stop dumping because the gradient, the concentration gradient will be more equal, equalized or whatever, or the dumping will slow down. So you don't have as much of an immunological reaction. And that's what the, the skin flares are immunological reactions. So navigating this now where you have somebody saying if you want to not be affected by the poison you have to eat more poison essentially it's really hard for me to grasp that idea they're saying you need to eat more oxalates to slow down your dumping and i'm yes, like well i know this thing but it can be necessary because you can get into a dangerous state with oxalate dumping it's not common but if you have a history of kidney disease or seizures which Seizures are honestly pretty common in Lyme. I was one of these, I was a seizure person with kidney disease and uh, for folks like, like myself, you can get into a state of true acidosis. If you're dumping too many oxalates at once and they're binding to the electrolytes, it can change the pH of your blood to a dangerous level. That's not common and you can remedy at home usually with some baking soda and water. That's what they'll do at the hospital as well. Not a bad idea to go, <laughs> but- uh, And that's but the bike, and that's to add bicarbonate that's right. to buffer the acid. Yes. That's interesting yes. you say that because I've done some like, so would that show up with acidic urine? No, it's the or blood. just blood. It's okay. The blood that's the most important. The urine, you'll know you're dumping if you have foam in the urine or cloudiness. Uh, a sign for those of us that go into the dangerous aspect, and again, it's a small portion. It's not something to be afraid of. It's just something to know about, is uh, that when you're walking across a room, you're, you get very breathless. That's a sign of acidosis in the blood. So it's not a normal breathlessness. It's it's very different. And you're more dizzy than usual. I know most people with Lyme have dysautonomia. So, but you will notice it is a different thing. So that's <laughs> so, a hypo, is that because it's creating like hypoxia? Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that's different than dysautonomia, which is basically dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system, Completely which can also feel different, mm -hmm. which can also feel, create breathlessness. Yes. 
And so there are things you can do with oxalates that bind. I really, having had a pretty heavy oxalate issue and it runs in my family as well, I think we probably haven't had the bacteria that break it down for some time. So uh, having had a pretty hefty load, I honestly don't have the doom and gloom view that a lot of people do with oxalates. I, I don't see it as a, a terrible thing to get through at all. I know it can make you uncomfortable at times, but a lot of times if you uh, do certain tricks, like if you're on the carnivore diet, you'll know you're dumping too many oxalates if you have the liquid stools. That's a big sign. And that may not be appropriate for you. You may need to do more of like a GAPS ketogenic diet instead. It's it's different for each person what they need to do. But uh, but you can also do little tricks. like So wait, so you're saying liquid stools? Cause, a sign of oxalate dumping. Okay, because mm -hmm. uh, not to get, uh, well, uh, the point of this is getting personal to help others. So, Absolutely. Uh, so I... A history of constipation but then i'll i'll switch to loose stools and it's it's almost like a sandy diarrhea as if and that and that and on the like oxalate forms and for those that are want to learn more about oxalates there's a facebook group called trying low oxalates that is, is an out it is an outstanding resource the moderators are veterans they're sharp they're research-based and it's a very supportive group. There's going to be quack jobs on it, just like in any Facebook group. But for the most part, it's an outstanding resource. And that is a common thing that I've heard that's been another data point for me where you like you can't go and then all of a sudden you go and it's not a normal type of go. So let's talk about that because you know you had mentioned the constipation earlier and the problem when you don't have stools you know a lot of times people on medical diets they won't have stools and they'll be like well i'm not bloated i'm not in pain so it's okay and it's easy to think that but once you get deeper into the microbiome you start to realize it's still an issue because there are bacteria that live in the colon that if your stool is in your colon for more than two days it will start eating your stool and here's the problem with that that bacteria's byproduct, so basically their toxins from the digestive process, inhibit the migratory motor complex, keep you from having stools, and can actually make you chronically constipated. Hmm. Now, one of the things that's a huge issue with most people with chronic illness is that their detox channels aren't working great in the liver, right? Maybe phase two, maybe phase three, these kind of things. So they're just holding onto toxins, very common for bile issues, right? This constipation and diarrhea or just diarrhea or liquid stools, which I wouldn't consider diarrhea if it's once a day, right? So if it's the liquid stools kind of thing, and the bile is important to understand. I see so many people taking bile salts and uh, trying to remedy this with bitter herbs and these kind of things, but it's, it's often a sign that the body is overly toxic. So the body, uh, you know, our toxins are fat soluble. Toxins typically stay in the fat cells and the fat cells and the nervous system is primarily fat. So is the brain and the hair follicles, which is why a lot of people lose hair while they're sick. The toxins will go to those areas and cause damage in those areas. Now, we recirculate about 95% of our bile over and over. And so with our bile recirculation, we're recirculating our toxins. We're not getting rid of them. And, and we so do that, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, we do that from what I understand because bile is kind of expensive to make. So expensive, it's exhausting. To so, make. We, so we <laughs> yeah. recycle it 
which if we weren't in a toxic environment might not be, be that big of a deal. No, it'd be great actually. Yeah. But now that we have kind of just everybody has kind of more exposure to toxins than we would like that recirculating is kind of stirring toxins up. That's right. And so you can get that bile dumping that you're experiencing or that some people do, or you can get the oxalate dumping, which a telltale sign is sandy stools, right? It looks like there's sand in your stools is, is pretty typical. Circulating back to what you were saying in the beginning about how, you know, emotions can really affect people. And you've seen a lot of people that have fallen ill during a divorce, these kind of things. Any kind of stress can tip us over. Most of us are walking on a cliff health-wise and we don't know there's a cliff there. And so if you get any of kind of the four toxins come in, that could be pharmaceutical toxin, it can be environmental toxin, it can be emotional toxin, it can be lifestyle toxin, like shift work, lack of sleep. Any of those can tip you off into illness. And that's really all it takes. And if you have a combination, then you're really in trouble. And most of us have a combination these days. So uh, so it's not, it's not uncommon and it's not psychosomatic. It's not, um, you you know, someone uh, freaking themselves out into illness, it's very much that the body can't recover when it's under that much stress, both physical uh, and, and emotional. And the, the microbes like Lyme, that's a huge stress on the body. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's so uh, not to get, well, to get graphic, the, the sandy stool, what is that is that oxalate actually binding to our minerals to our electrolytes and just creating a crystal essentially and coming out that's correct so a lot of people ask why they require so much magnesium or these kind of things and it's because if they have an oxalate issue not everyone will but if they have an oxalate issue the oxalates are going to bind to the electrolytes and pull them out of the body they don't dissolve in the body we can't break them down they're a very efficient toxin and they're just little crystals. And like with all toxins, humans can tolerate a certain level. It's that you get past a threshold and you can't. And most of us, I know I made the same mistake. I, I ate way too many high oxalate foods when I started to try to eat healthy because I was doing all these spinach salads and spinach smoothies and kale smoothies. I think most of us fall into this trap, but then it can really put a lot of stress on our detox organs. And so you'll start seeing some of these like terrible rashes. And that's not to say that all rashes are oxalate related, they're right. not, but it's a common thing for someone to have if they have an oxalate issue. And, and I did finally get the tests not long ago because I actually worked with a nutritionist. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, it wasn't you. And, uh, and she just insisted it's not oxalate. It's not oxalate. And I'm just like scratching my head. Like, I feel like I rolled everything out else out. And uh, so I got the test. I think it's through a company called, it's a oat test, organic. Yeah, the oats test, test is great. It'll is tell it great? You. <laughs> yeah. So, and sure enough, it was high. And I sent it to my doc and he's like, well, there you go. There's your answer. Like, I'm like, all right, well now it feels kind of great to have a, um, a more defined, I don't want to say enemy, but, <laughs> yes, but, understand. but, yes. um, but now like navigating this is challenging. And I, what I'm hoping is that the years of rash I had was like me moving a large percentage out and 
it should get easier and easier as I go forward. Even if I have waves of dumping, hopefully it's not as bad or as long lasting. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, you know, I had a big oxalate issue, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big deal for me. Like it is for so many. And that's not because I'm special. I just happened to be doing a lot of right things without knowing I was, <laughs> I didn't know what I was, <laughs> honestly, I didn't, I knew I was supposed to eat less oxalate foods, but what, what I did was I went into a real ketogenic diet. So I went into 80% for a different reason, for a different health condition. And when you do that, that automatically limits how many oxalate foods you're, you're consuming. Right. So I actually started eating berries again on that diet and nuts, but my portion sizes were just tiny and it wasn't an issue. And then for another health issue, I was taking magnesium citrate uh, every day for it. I, I don't have to take anything anymore, but it was very important then. And magnesium citrate, all the citrate forms bind to the oxalates and make it a lot easier. So between those two things, it gave my body an easier time. And I, I didn't have that nightmare story that so many people do. But um, a lot of times, typically, if you're having the symptoms from oxalates, you can slow it down absolutely through if you're not eating any fibers you can use lemon juice but do not do that if you're eating vegetables there's a reason for that we don't need to go into the biochemistry here but that's mm. important and then uh, if you are eating vegetables and other foods then you can or plant matter then you can do magnesium or calcium citrate i usually use magnesium citrate if someone has constipation and calcium citrate if someone is having diarrhea uh, and maybe a mix of that if it's back and forth it gotcha. just depends we go by the schools and potassium about, citrate works too <laughs> i'm sorry what what about like uh dosing and keep in mind always this is not medical advice please For don't anyone out there <laughs> this is just Showing uh, yeah. the audience, you know, potential framework of like how to ask questions and and one way of dancing the dance. It's not one and everybody's way. dance is going to be different. Yeah, this is not for everyone. But like one thing that's common in, I guess, the the forums, like that a lot of people benefit from magnesium citrate. But I noticed the dosing's kind of all over the place and. Yeah. What what kind of dose was working for you at least? You know, I always tell people and for myself to bowel tolerance. You do it to where you don't have diarrhea, basically. Okay. So it's going to be a completely different dose for each person. And, you know, I've found, and this may just be correlation, this may not be fact, so I don't know, but I've found uh, most oxalate people require an enormous amount of magnesium. And what's underlying that is typically a thiamine deficiency. When you have a thiamine deficiency, you can't hold on to magnesium. And I see that a lot. Do you know but why again, that is? Correlation. Uh, well, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, B1 is quick to go and we don't have much of it in our diets in general. So like, for instance, you would have to eat about six ounces of pork meat a day, not the fat, the actual meat, it's not in bacon. And to get your RDA, there's not really any many other foods that have it. Not too many people do that. So when you don't have enough of that one, you get into real trouble because the other B vitamins like I haven't looked at your blood work, but let's say you tested less with like a B6 deficiency, which is common in Lyme because that comes with the neuropathy and that kind of thing that you can get later on down the road, which we haven't even crossed into yet, but we will to see if you're dealing with any of that. But if you show on any tests, whether it's like a spectra cell within the, within the cell, which is a more important test than a serum test for vitamins, 
that you're deficient in one of the other B vitamins, it's really a very big sign that you're critically low in B1. B1 is, is used, it's not by definition an enzyme, but it's used like an enzyme for all the other B vitamins for their absorption and their use in the body. And so you know if you're low in the other ones, you're very low in the B1, even if it's not showing. And uh, and when you're low in that, then you, you get the magnesium deficiency and you switch well, basically you switch into the lactic acid cycle of energy, which is very common with oxalates. And that can put you into acidosis, which we were discussing earlier. So you so, need thymine to stay out of that cycle. Does that, you feel, can that trigger more oxalate dumping by bringing things kind of back online? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. So, <clears throat> so with thiamine, one thing I want to definitely say with Lyme and with dysautonomia and the nervous system conditions associated, chronic fatigue syndrome, all these kinds of things. Uh, the regular thiamine doesn't work. I haven't seen it work. You really- When I've you say regular, you're referring to thiamine hydrochloride, the salt. That's correct. Yeah, I just, maybe it will for someone, but I've just never seen it work. So I always use the fat soluble forms. If someone has a sulfur intolerance, which we'll get into with you, we'll see if you're dealing with any of that. Then we go for the benfothiamine and we go really high dose, sometimes up to like two grams. So we'll see if Whoa. you need any of this. Yeah, it's serious, but it's very helpful. There's a, I've heard a doctor speak about this. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, hopefully I don't buy it. It's one of the few vitamins. Longdale, Derek Longdale. Or yeah. Somebody uh -huh. that devoted like um, a lot of time. I think it was at either the Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic or something. A wonderful physician. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. And his work is fantastic. If anyone, you don't have brain fog, you can dive into it. It's pretty. <laughs> Yeah, because it's it's pretty heady. He did not write for the lay person, but he's he did wonderful work in reversing nervous system conditions with thiamine IVs, and it's it's really quite effective. But the form is very important. So if you like, Les, if you feel that like I can't feeling, like I can't do this, I can't do that, that's very much a thiamine deficiency. Typically, that's how it presents with like, a, I couldn't possibly not in a victim way, not in an archetype way, in a physical way, gotcha. like when you were crawling across the floor, and, right? And for the audience, just, you know, it's, I'm always baffled by how much the absolute basics go overlooked. B, yeah. this is B1. It's like the first vitamin the first that was discovered. So like, important. And, <laughs> And vitamin comes from, from what, if I recall, the words like vital amine. It's vital. Like it's vital for life. You can't live. Like a deficiency in any one of them will result to an earlier death. They are important. And, and also for, quality of life. Like most people with Lyme, I'm sure you are there as well, or at least have been. Uh, you don't feel like life is worth living. It's the quality goes down so high. Uh, or so low it really. did yeah now i feel yeah. great like yeah <laughs> i feel freaking fantastic like i have all the lifestyle things in line yeah. i could do i do two and a half hour workouts twice a week um, hour and a half workouts almost every other day it's just i can't control this like immune overreaction or something that shows that's ex manifested in like skin goings on, you know, skin things. Yeah. But, um, but like my energy feels great. 
body composition feels good. It's like I could do, you know, I could pick up a few hundred pounds. I could do a bunch of pull-ups. I could run fast. Like I feel good. Um, and it makes it kind of hard. It makes me like kind of scratch my head. Like, what am I missing? The thymine's interesting. Um, I think because when I learned about that, I guess we need it to deal with carbohydrates and, and yeah. fat. Yeah, carbohydrates more. Carbohydrates more. So you deplete it if you eat a lot of carbohydrates. So if you grow up on the standard American diet, you're probably going into adulthood deficient. Yeah. And then typically when people get sick, I I was in this camp, you start to go towards easier foods, quicker foods, which further deplete the B1. So you know, people with chronic fatigue syndrome, they've they've really shown in studies that they don't use glucose for energy appropriately. And part of that is, is from that B1 conversion and use of energy in the ATP energy system. It, it, it's just not working. It's completely broken. So those people really have to shift into ketosis. That's their only other option. And some people aren't able to transition protein into carbohydrates. Not all bodies can do that. So going uh, like a lean Atkins can make some people more sick. But yeah, the B1 is used whether you're converting fat or carbohydrates, but you use many more times when you're converting carbohydrates for energy as opposed to fat. So you can still get a deficiency or a deeper deficiency, but it's very slow as opposed to very rapid. Yeah. Okay. So, and you mentioned different forms. So I've, I've heard these mentions There's uh, the salt, the hydrochloride, which I guess is cheap, which is in most multivitamins so forth. Yeah. And I really, I don't use multivitamins. I'm not much of a, vi- a vitamin person period, Okay. but yes. Mm-hmm. But then you mentioned benta, I don't know how to say it. What was the form? Benta. Benthothyme? Yeah, yes, yes, that's right. That's a, a fat soluble form. So it's an odd B vitamin in that it has to be taken with some fat. And also all thiamine if we're working on the nerves of the brain in particular. So I'll usually do a mix of the two with people. And sometimes we'll just work up to 2000 or 2000 milligrams, which is two grams, and we'll get to a great spot before that. So uh, the person's feeling great. So we won't keep going, but we push for the two otherwise. And with that, magnesium is very important. You have to have both at the same time. But let's dive into, I want to hear how you are on a daily basis now. I'm intrigued by your your ability to work out. So on your daily basis, what are your symptoms? What does it feel like to be you when you wake up? Okay, so lately, uh, I mean, I generally will wake up in the middle of the night with a histamine reaction lately. Um, Meaning, and that shows up with just, itch like I don't know how to say it it's just you just wake up and I'm wired like three in the morning get up and my skin itches and I have an insane amount of energy all I want to do is sleep and I feel like I could go sprint okay like it's it's weird um and then I I've worked in some processes of um things that could help. So if it's like really bad, I will take an Epsom salt bath in the middle of the night. Might, um, I'll, and I've tried to switch my mindset to a more positive thing and create like a um, really some me time out of it. Like this is okay. This is my spiritual practice. I'm maybe going to take a hit of cannabis. Now you take a bath. 
do breath work, meditate. Maybe um, an idea will just arise. It makes for good content for our listeners. Maybe a mindfulness tip. A lot of my mindfulness tips have come out of me just being in an emotional shitstorm and spending an hour like making space for healing and then just something will come spontaneous. It's amazing how much good things have come from like pain along the way. Um, but then there's times where I'll get up and like this morning I get up, it was like two 30, you know, scratch a little bit, just can't resist. But then like, I'm able to just breathe, slow myself down and get back to bed. I've played with different things like melatonin or GABA or tryptophan or other things to help with the sleep. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Definitely used CBD a good bit and that's been helpful, but it doesn't, nothing seems to help me just make it through the night. Um, and then when I wake up, if, so if I do fall back to sleep, maybe I'm up for like 30 minutes to an hour, I fall back to sleep, when I wake up at like uh, Sarah's alarm usually goes off at 530, um, you know, within it doesn't take long before I start to just itch again. So like every morning and every night, I seem to have this elevated histamine response. The middle of the day, I seem fine. It's really suppressed. So there's some kind of like circadian rhythm to the histamine. And I know histamine is naturally going to be higher in the morning because it's there to help wake you up and get you moving. It's just that because my bucket's so full, I guess, it pushes me over and it's not just waking me up. It's creating an itch and it's really hard. Um, Let me ask you some questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. When you take your Epsom salt baths, are they hot? They are hot. And I've found that sweating in general... Mm -hmm helps so whether it's sauna or it's a hot bath it it doesn't help at first like the first five minutes as the my body's adjusting as i begin to sweat i have a histamine response but it usually lasts for maybe five minutes and then it's much better coming out of it so like um whether it's a sauna whether it's a bath i always feel better afterwards hundred percent of the time, but I might have a tough five minutes as I begin to sweat. Is your body dry for that five minutes? Has it started sweating? Is there, um, it's like when the sweat begins. So even if I'm exercising, like yesterday I exercised outside in Maryland, we got a nice warm spell here. And, um, and like, as I start to sweat in the sun, lift, lifting weights like it's it's itchy but then once i sweat for a few minutes it's it's as if it's as if a layer of toxins have gotten out and my body gets happy okay uh, i have to ask you a very personal question which you're welcome to edit afterwards <laughs> but <laughs> after both working out and after intercourse do you feel better or worse oh that's interesting um Sometimes I feel if I do a lot of exercise, sometimes I do feel, and I've wondered if it's the acid, like the acidosis thing, like mm -hmm. 
sometimes I do feel like that's too much. Like maybe it's just too much oxidative stress or something, even though I might feel good, my symptoms might have a negative reaction. Um, possibly with, with sex too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's like stressful, but it's a different type. I don't, yeah. 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 It's an exciting stress. Yeah. What about <laughs> it's a healthy stress? I love that stress. But, yeah. It's a great stress, a healthy stress. What about uh, traveling? Have you been on a plane in the last year and how did you feel? I've been on a plane, uh, didn't notice a problem from Good. that. Okay. So I think, and I could be wrong, I'm not looking at blood tests, but I think you could have histamines because histamines are common when you have microbial dysfunction. You're gonna have some issues with it. I don't think it's a primary issue for you or a major issue. I think we can actually almost ignore it because most of what you're showing is actually quite different. Uh, high histamine would feel horrific after a bath. When they wake up in the middle of the night with the itching, they would be exhausted. They wouldn't be energetic. Hmm. And, uh, and you would feel much worse after exercise. I think what you're potentially looking at, potentially, is more parasitic in nature. Usually parasites work at night. They're, they're, um, they're nocturnal. And so when you have symptoms just at night, like that itching that you're getting, that's a clue that you want to look in that direction. And that's pretty common. We like to think that we have this sterile environment, but we just don't. Parasites are actually very common right. and they're not something to be afraid of. They're, you know, they're just as common as little bacterial overgrowths and they just happen to have parties at night. So when you have a symptom <laughs> at night, like itching, it can be a big sign that that's what's going on. And an Epsom salt bath or or a bath would make you feel much better with parasites, whereas it would make you feel worse with histamine. Same with sauna. Sauna would make you feel much worse. So it's more likely that we're looking there, and that wouldn't be surprising, you know, whether it came with the tick or not, because there's so many co-infections that come right. with ticks that aren't Lyme, uh, or if it's just something that you already had in your body and the antibiotics or the stress of the illness allowed it to overgrow a bit, that's where I would look especially since sweating really helps. Oh, one thing I didn't ask though, is what about anxiety? Do you have anxiety? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> at times I experience anxiety, sure. Yeah, I mean, not as much as I used to. I, mean, I went through a phase of like panic attacks and stuff, okay. but that was a long time ago. Um, but I, I, I guess I have anxiety around my symptoms. Oh, sure. That's just yeah. Pavlovian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And I mean, this past year has been stressful. Like, I don't know anybody that doesn't experience anxiety at some time. So, yeah. It sounds like, especially in America, I, I honestly didn't have a clue as to how stressful it was until two of my friends came to visit. It's much more lax in other countries, despite even, you know, more quarantine. It's not as stressful in terms of like shaming or social issues. Oh, like, man. There's a lot of sh weird shaming going on. I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. It's definitely so, an okay. ugly side of uh, the human condition. It's so human. Yes, it is so human. So I think what we want to look at for you is uh, lactic acid more because lactic acid, anytime you have 
the reason why I was asking about anxiety is because very often histamine disorders can be misdiagnosed as anxiety or depression. It can present that way. But the way that you're explaining it fits really more with lactic acid. Instead, you can't have a panic attack without lactic a high level of lactic acid in the body. So I think we wanna look at your lactic acid. Now, I wanna back up to when you were a child and when you were growing up. A lot of times, and again, I can't say for sure if this is your case, but this is pretty common and you'll know. <laughs> uh, a lot of times when we go through puberty, it's a huge stress on the body in the modern day. It, olden times in the tribes that I visit with, it's not. But for us, it is because we already have a lot of stressors going. And so when you bring in puberty, it can kind of tip you over that cliff that I was talking about. A lot of people just due to living today aren't making all their feel good chemicals. And so when they go through puberty, they really have a difficulty making them. And what I usually see in teenagers is that they either go towards adventure sports to force produce it, because when you jump off a cliff or you go mountain biking, mm. uh, you actually, it forces a huge fountain of feel good chemicals to be produced or they go to drugs and alcohol instead. So I bet you had a microbiome imbalance all the way back then. <laughs> and so when you, you know, then you had all the alcohol, you had the drugs, you had, which honestly is normal for many parts of the country and, or the world really. I'm in uh, South Africa and people drink all the time. <laughs> it's like a lot for us, for me as an American, but it's normal for their culture. So then you bring that in and what alcohol does is it depletes nutrients, especially B vitamins. And the B vitamins protect your energy and they protect your nervous system, right? So you had this kind of setup and then all along you start training for triathlons, which is very common with limeys. Uh, and, and many people that get chronic fatigue syndrome because the, the training for that, even though it feels great. And I, I was a I was one of these two. I was training for Ironman when I got sick. Uh, it's it's common because you're you're working out two three hours a day. It's a huge stress. It's a beneficial stress, but it's a stress. Right. So you've got that stress plus modern living, uh, plus the modern diet, and then you throw on Lyme and infection, and your body just crumbles, right? And you likely had all those B deficiencies, so your nervous system wasn't very protected either. So that kind of is just like a little perfect storm, a rebuildable storm, like something that rebuildable. you can get. Thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent rebuildable. Yes. We are very resilient. The body just needs some certain things that it's often not given. Once it's given, the body takes care of it for us. So you can always come back from this, but yeah, I think, I think you probably weren't producing those things. And then what you mentioned about the opiates is very profound and something people should know because a lot of people go through surgery. Like I had knee surgery a year ago to correct some ligaments that I had torn. And uh, you're often prescribed these pain medicines that are opiates, but what those do is completely annihilate your serotonin in the body. So you'll get someone who's an active athlete who goes through maybe an ACL surgery and they won't get depressed. It often doesn't present as depression. It'll present as either lack of will. So if you had someone with a strong character beforehand and now they're like, I don't know why, but I cannot motivate myself to do this or that that's low serotonin from the opioids, hmm. or it can cause constipation. 
uh, or it can cause migraines and headaches. Many, many headaches and migraines are caused from low serotonin and it won't always present with depression. In fact, it often doesn't. So, so those are all things that I think are likely part of your picture as well. Now, uh, one thing we wanna look at is getting at your skin. So it sounds like your skin, your oxalates, your stool frequency are your main symptoms now. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the skin is, is, is by far the main symptom. I, yeah. Okay. And your sleep, of course. Okay. I'm going to tell you some things that you may not like, but I'm going to tell you anyway, <laughs> and they might not even be right, but I would try them. Okay. So, so, uh, although you can work out to the level that you're tolerating, I think it's too big of a stress on your body. In general, when you're recovering, even though it's so exciting, when you get your energy back and you can really like lift things and run and do all these great things, you wanna save that energy for healing. Healing requires an enormous amount of energy. So you can still do activities and you can have like an organized workout, but it needs to be pretty minimal. It needs to be like 40 minutes of biking or like going for a swim or going for a hike or a walk, very low cortisol activities. Because when you overproduce cortisol as you do in a workout, uh, your liver's got to clear that out. And if your liver is busy clearing out the cortisol, it's not going to get to the other imbalanced hormones and toxins and everything else. You're just going to keep circulating those toxins. And it's going to be difficult to get past that last hurdle to full remission, right? Where you don't have any symptoms. So I would tone down the workouts a bit. The, uh, the sleep, I would do a couple of things. Have you tried uh, anything like Seraphos, PS100, phosphatidylserine, anything like that for sleep? PS100 that uh, I have tried a long time ago. I don't really remember it moving the needle, but- um... It probably won't then. I would, if it were me, and it's not something you have to do because I know you've looked at a lot of things. You might want to look at like a mild parasitic protocol, something like wormwood. That's not as strong as some of the other things. I've done a- bunch of par parasite cl cleanses that seem to definitely move parasites yeah but so they don't ha have like lasting effects i don't know if it's because i wasn't able to like rebuild mm. the microbiome after or uh, two questions with that sure one did your practitioners have you take the antiparasitic once a week long term like still to today um once a week, long term, no. Very important. When you've had chronic, uh, chronic parasitic infections, especially if you've seen them, because honestly, most parasites are not uh, visual to the eye. Seventy percent of them are microscopic. But uh, the the parasites, their egg uh, can rehatch very easily. So it's a good idea to. Take a small amount. Once a week, it can be something like mugwort tea. It doesn't have to be capsules and all of that. It's interesting you mentioned the parasites because I've definitely noticed around moon cycles. Ah, there's your I, answer. There, yeah, and I, I've read that before that they're more, I guess, active yes. around full and new moons. Yeah, they mate around the full moon. So whenever parasites can be really difficult to kill, to be honest, and 
a lot of that I think is because people don't work on their immune system first. If you work on your immune system, just like with Lyme, it's, it's not as hard. It's pretty simple, but, uh, but they're tricky little buggers because they rarely go to the digestive system. Like there's a uh, pulmonary, which is a parasite that's closely associated, we don't know if it's just correlation, with CFS that constantly goes from the liver to the lungs, never goes through the digestive system, except at the full moon, when it goes to the duodenum to mate. And that's typically when it will go there, the, all, the, all the parasites. So it's the one time you can get the parasites that are maybe like liver flukes and those kind of things. But um, I would only do that if you've been off starch and on a microbiome building diet for three to six months. There's no point in treating before that, really. Wait, wait, can you can you say that again? So before treating for parasites, you're saying yeah. remove starch. Yes, completely. How long have you been off starch before? I don't know if I've ever made it more than like a week or two being like legit no starch. It's freaking okay, hard. That's what we're going to do. I mean, I live with do. other people and I have to, and I'm doing the cooking. So yeah. you're like when you're feeding a house full of people, it's okay. hard to say, you can't say you guys can't have starch and it's hard to give them starch and not have a bite. Yes. So you have to decide which one you're going to do. You either need to not cook it for anyone or make something that you don't like. What I usually recommend to people is <laughs> That's make something you don't actually like. Like maybe you don't care about white rice. So you can make them white rice every night, right? Because it's not going to be tempting, but you want to do something like that. So what I'm going to do- Is ice I'm cream a starch? Mm -hmm. does, ice cream, does ice cream count as starch? No, but you can't have ice cream. You can't have ice cream? And you're sure about that. Can we revisit yeah. this ice cream question like a hundred times and see <laughs> change your answer? This is what I can tell you. No My goal is to get you less to where you have zero symptoms and you don't have to be on a diet, okay. right? So we need to put you on one for now so that we can get you better. But it's a it's an arrow and bow approach. I'm going to pull you back for a period of time. It's not forever. Okay. I'm going to get you to where you're, at least this is my goal for you, is to get you where your microbiome is balanced to where you can eat things like rice and sourdough bread and not be sick, mm -hmm. right? Okay. It's then feeding the good bacteria instead of the pathogenic. But to do that, you really have to avoid it. And I wouldn't bother with any supplements really until you fix that part because that's your foundation. Okay. And that's also what prevents you from being in this situation again, right? I want you to be able to travel and lay in grass without fear, not just on a psychological level, but also on a real solid, my body is strong level, right? Like the sound of that. So, so it's necessary. So I'm going to send you a protocol that you're going to, you're going to follow. I'm going to follow up with you on this. Okay. You can give the, the household like corn or rice or whatever it is that you don't care about. I want you to feel like, like maybe taro. I don't know, but <laughs> pick one. And, uh, and we're going to do this for three months and we're going to clear this out because when you have skin issues, you're looking at toxicity. Eczema is not a tricky, a tricky thing to get at. It can be mercurial, so uh, it, different things will work for different people with it. Like, for instance, my brother, he's had eczema since we were kids in the terrible kind, the bleeding kind. And I put him on the GAPS diet and it was gone in seven days. And wow. it was his whole 
was all over his body. It's always been an issue. Outside of that, though, he was healthy. It hasn't come back. That's odd. That's not normal. <laughs> I have patients that have the complete opposite experience. Uh, other people, they have to look at histamines. Some people, it's a toxicity issue. So that the more detoxing, the better they feel, right? You are definitely in that camp. I want you sweating as much as possible. So more saunas, more Epsom salt baths, all of that. Um, but eczema is also something that once it bleeds, once you have little tears in the skin from itching it and that kind of thing, then you're dealing with a secondary thing, which is a little bacterial infection. So baking soda in your bath can be really helpful with that or a seaweed bath or a honey and seaweed wrap can be really helpful. But whenever I see someone with a skin issue, I know it can get worse before it gets better. My brother's experience is rare, mainly because uh, the skin is a big detox organ, right? And when you're healing, what you're doing is shifting the microbiome. So these bacteria, as they die off, they're releasing toxins and those toxins are gonna go through your main system. I'm, I'm a kidney detoxer. I tend to go through my kidneys, probably why I had kidney disease, right? And issues of the oxalates. Other people I work with or are colon detoxers. Others are skin, but it's going to go through one or more of the detox organs is what's going to happen. So ideally, if you already know you're a skin person, it can get worse before it gets better. I don't want to paint a pretty picture. It really can. I don't think it will with you because it would be getting worse already with your detox uh, baths and saunas and things like that. So I really don't anticipate that with you. But I would look at not just oxalates for your rash, I would look at overall detox. You seem to be very rewarded by exercise, by saunas, by baths. So I would, I would amplify that as much as possible. Okay. Uh, for me, when I was going through the diet, and I'm gonna put you on a similar one, uh, when I was going through the diet, uh, I would sometimes do three or four Epsom salt baths in a day. They were so beneficial for me. So you can go by what feels good to yourself. That you can very much go with your intuition. Usually I'm going to tell you, Les, that you are not allowed to listen to your intuition. You're not when it comes to food. Like you're just not. Because right now <laughs> your intuition is not your own. Your intuition is, those, is from those bacterial overgrowths. So your body is going to be like... I needed sourdough toast. I was gonna die if I didn't have sourdough toast. And what it was, was your bacterial overgrowth was gonna die and we need that to die. And that is part of you. So it will feel like you are dying. So you can't, you can't go with your intuition with food. You've got to clear things with me first, but you can go by your intuition with lifestyle things and with detox for no, sure. Wait, no starch. Does that mean like no sugar, like no honey? Well, it depends. So usually with Lyme, what I like to do is not do honey. There's conditions I do use honey for, but usually with Lyme, the liver is a bit clogged up and honey is fructose. Fructose gets broken down in the liver. So I usually try to avoid things that are get, getting broken down in the liver because I want the body to detox. I don't want to have to give you things to detox, right? I want your body to do its magic with that. So I usually don't do honey. The purpose of it is not torture, I promise you. It is simply, <laughs> it is simply uh, biochemistry. These little bacteria have different diets and you've got to starve them out to re-regulate the microbiome. You don't have to go in and kill them. You've killed enough, right? Uh, you don't have to go in and start killing lots of things. But what you do need to do is rebuild and rebalance. And to rebalance, we have to change who's in there. 
Right now, you most likely have an overgrowth of the opportunistic bacteria, and those guys only eat starch and sugar. So if we keep starch and sugar in your diet, they stay in your body and we need right. them to go. Uh, your good bacteria, they'll eat anything. They'll eat protein, fat, they're easy going. They're like the, the chill siblings that will eat whatever you put in front of them, right? So, <laughs> so they're good to go. You can feed them anything. And the pathogenic, they only eat starch and sugar too. So it, it's really quite simple. You just pull those out of your diet for a period of time, and then, uh, and then you start to recover. And as you recover, then anywhere from like, three months to 24 months, sometimes even longer, then you start to bring in very strategic starches, but you wanna do so when you're 95% better. You don't wanna do it before then. So these bacteria, they can live for different periods of time and it's better to play it safe with these and get this done and not deal with it anymore right. than to go for pleasure and eat these things too soon. So it's really, it can be shooting yourself in the foot if at three months you're like, I'm gonna eat popcorn <laughs> kind of thing, or I'm gonna eat a plantain. Uh, not because foods like plantains are bad for you. Obviously people have been eating that for thousands of years. It's that it's not strategic when you have a bacterial imbalance. So perfectly fine when you're in remission, you're healthy, have all the green plantains you want. You can eat the white rice. So will you send me like an example of. I'm going to send you so much. You're going to be like, Mary, I'm overwhelmed. So (laughs) you're going to get plenty, plenty. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to send you recipes, meal plan, uh, food list lifestyle stuff, just in case you're not doing anything, I want to make sure you're doing it all. And so you can check it off and, and double check that you're doing all of that. And, uh, and then we'll go from there. So yeah, you're going to be, you can basically just batch cook. And what I recommend for you, especially since you are taking care of others is to batch cook, because if you always have food available, you're less likely to fall, uh, fall to a lack of willpower. You cannot count on willpower. For this <laughs> the bacterial overgrowths are very strong with cravings so you want to have my routine i mean i have the will to do like i'll do anything yeah. i've done crazy crazy stuff to try you know i feel like the willpower is uh a, a strength that i have i think it is too you wouldn't if i have if i if you if i know what to do i'm willing to do it if I so know you that it'll help. Six months. This protocol I'm going to give you. Wait, you what wanna... happened to three months? You said no starts three months. Now you're going to six. Uh, uh, no, no, no. With the nervous okay. system, you have to do six. I okay. said some people can only do three, but you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot with that because these bacteria can live for three months, six months, nine, twenty-four. You don't want to go through all of that work and then feed something too early and still be six. Do the parasites eat the same stuff? Like is eating a starch feeding a parasite too? No, so parasites don't eat our food. They eat us, they eat our tissue. So you can't starve them out. But what you can do is you can make your immune system more strong to where it fights it off with no problem. Really these parasitic, these Lyme issues that we're having are not something we see in traditional cultures. These tribes I go and see, they don't have any of these issues. When your immune system is strong enough, these are not an issue. If, if you're having them really focus on the immune system, it's not a ticket of like finding some long lost herb or some secret treatments or some amazing new drug. It is an issue in getting your body really back in alignment with true nature. And then your body will do the rest of it. So you can't starve out parasites, but you can make yourself strong enough. So okay. six months for this reason. 
you may not have to do it that long. I'll check in with you and you're welcome to come to my, my Lyme group if you want, that would be fine. But uh, Lyme always affects the nervous system for most people, especially if it's continuing to like cause issues or it just caused issue with the nervous system to begin with. The nervous system takes six months to regrow. So I always recommend six months when you've had Lyme, like do it hardcore. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I, I really do recommend going into full ketosis for this. And I hope you know when I say that, I teach over 41 different diets. I, I am not dogmatic about this, but there's some benefits about being in ketosis when you dealt with Lyme. One is that the high fat content really helps you rebuild that immune system. The food of the immune system is saturated fat, and so you can rebuild it a lot faster. Number two is that energy is often an issue. I, although your energy is much better, I still see signs of lactic acid and carbohydrates produce lactic acid when you break them down. So I wouldn't recommend too many ferments for you right now or carbohydrates. It's probably gonna be better for you to function mostly off fat, right? You can have plenty of protein. I'll make sure you don't have muscle wasting and your workouts are good. Okay. Uh, so, so I'll design it more for like an athlete, uh, that kind of diet for you can so that you can get on. Can I but ask one thing? Um, the the thymine concept yeah. is that something to be played with during this, or waiting till after the three to six months? The thiamine is something we can do immediately if you want. We can also wait. A lot of times, what I'll do is wait for most supplements until after a month two, six weeks, because I like to see what the diet does alone. But thiamine is something that the diet's not gonna fix. Uh, you really can't fix the thiamine deficiency with diet alone. It's really, the, I don't wanna misspeak, but I can't think of anything else that that is the case for. So uh, so if you wanna start with that one, I, I wouldn't hesitate because that can help with the lactic acid issues. And if we get at those lactic acid issues, you'll probably sleep better and you'll also feel better in general. Okay. Yeah. This is a lot to digest here. Um, <laughs> let me see if I have, I took a lot of notes here. Let me just see if I have any questions. So in general, and you'll be, you'll send me more detailed stuff and we'll yeah. hopefully we'll do a follow-up if you're open to it down the yeah. road where we'll go over what that plan was and then what it did for me. And yes. We should open do it at it, the three or six month mark. Maybe mm -hmm. you would even feel like a, a few questions from the audience if if you want to do it. Um, but you're saying possibly explore the ramp up to a high dose thiamine for I guess that's a temporary thing just to kind of oh, get yeah. the machinery back up and running. That's right. um, don't worry so much about the anti parasitics yet, but that might be in the future at a, like a low periodic mm -hmm. dose of a once a week thing that's right and take out starch be very strict about that play with ketosis and can you you said um does so does ketosis help a potential lactic acid issue is that what you were yeah. alluding to yeah that's why i really recommend it in this situation so ketosis has to be done full hog 
uh, people that flirt in between, they're really shooting themselves in the foot because then you don't have an energy system. So you've got to commit to either glucogenesis or ketosis. And for Lyme, because of the immune issues, plus the nervous system issues, plus lactic acid issues, it's really best to go into ketosis, but it has to be done properly. I rarely see people do it properly. And so I would definitely get a meter. You need to know if you're actually in ketosis or can not. Can I use the, uh, the strips? I I've, I've explored with ketosis a bunch. Yes. I feel like I know from when my energy goes like boom and my yes. like I feel like I could tell uh cognitively when I switch over. Yeah, and you'll know a few tells. One is that uh yeah, your cognition should be extra sharp. You should be satisfied more of the time. So you won't be distracted thinking about food or drinking or anything else. You're kind of just more satisfied and calm. Your feel-good chemicals should be very steady, as should your appetite. Very steady. So not these big ups, ups and downs. Right. You should be able to go long periods of time without eating, and you shouldn't wake up to urinate. So those are all signs of being in ketosis proper. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um and then how do the oxalates play? And do I do like a low oxalate version of ketosis? Yeah, you don't really have to. What I'm, what I'm gonna give you is gonna be naturally lower oxalate. Okay. We're not gonna use spinach, but, uh, but we're also not gonna use nuts for a very specific reason. And that is that with Lyme, often there's co-infections going on and nuts have a lot of arginine, which can feed viruses. Also, we're in the middle of a viral epidemic. I don't want you to be prone to that. So I'm gonna give you a lower oxalate plan anyway. Arginine, arginine? arginine? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's called arginine? Uh -huh. I thought it was already. It might be colloquial. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that has like, a, if I recall, like an opposing effect of lysine. That's okay. correct. <laughs> so, you know, that's, it's interesting. I do use those collagen peptides sometimes. I don't want to say sometimes. I use it freaking every day. So those are high in arginine, I think. Probably. Probably They'll, they would have a good amount of lysine as well, but I, I wouldn't use any powders, mixes, anything okay. while you're doing this. Can yeah. I still drink coffee? Yes. All right. <laughs> yeah, coffee doesn't mess up the microbiome. So you, you can, you can have up to two cups a day. That's totally fine. Okay. See, that's the kind of thing I need to hear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also like, okay, so some good things. Um, your mood should be better than ever before by week six. Like you should really have just kind of like elation coming out of your microbiome. So that's a nice thing. Okay. Uh, also, your body should look like it did in high school. I mean, I, it sounds like you're pretty fit, but it really carves on its own without you exercising. So you get a lot of benefits from it. Uh, for someone more sick with Lyme, it would be brutal in the first month. I think you're gonna be fine because you do so well with, with the baths and the saunas, but don't hold me to it. We'll see how you go. <laughs> I'll help you along the way and, uh, and we'll get you through it. But this is what, you know, even if I had tested positive with Lyme and treated and I was fine, I would do this protocol just to make sure I was safe so that I didn't sink back into illness like before. So it's not a bad thing to do as a cleanup, even if you were in remission, it's still a good thing to do. Gotcha. Mary, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Um, for the audience that wants to uh, 
dive a little deeper on their own journey with your mm -hmm. methodology? Can I know we've said it in your first uh, mm -hmm. interview, but could you just reiterate how people could find you? And sure. So the best thing to do, especially if you're in Lyme, you have POTS, dysautonomia, long COVID, you know, this whole umbrella of illnesses. I run a weekly group and that's my only group I don't require an intake for first. So you can come and join and get the protocols. I have multiple different ones for the different things and different presentations within uh, each diagnosis and get some support from lots of people that have it. So you can always do that. And that's at enableyourhealing.com. Um, and then you can always check me out on Instagram and YouTube and all of that. Okay. Enableyourhealing.com would be the easiest way to, for them to sign up. I would say so. Yeah, that's my website. So you'll see a lot of um, what I'm doing there. It's not fancy. I mean, I'm so basic with this stuff. So it's just a Wix website, but you'll see like my cows for kids effort. I have some quick start guides because I know lots of us are industrious, right? We've had to be our own doctors. So if you guys want any of the guides, you can go and get it and do it yourself and not even work with me. <laughs> so that's great for those of you that are industrious. And then, yeah, I've got lots of different support groups and things like that. And I've been enjoying them so much. I know we talked about it last time, but I am just growing more and more fond of these. So I think I'm probably going to come out with more for other conditions. But I started with the dysautonomia, Lyme, and COVID because that's dear to my heart, right? I feel very inspired to work with that given my history. But I'll probably start ones for histamines and oxalates and all that kind of thing in the future. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you again. Um, again, I'm very grateful for you taking the time. You know, I like to help others, but this is also a little selfish. I mean, I, uh, I wanted you a little bit for myself and um, I am in the middle of a little struggle that I'm dancing. So I am really grateful that you're here to help. And I hope for the listeners out there that there's something valuable that you could take from this conversation. I, I want to thank the listeners for tuning in and for listening. And if you have questions, shoot them our way. And if I have any trouble answering it, I'll see if I can get Mary to answer your questions. And hopefully she'll be back on in a few months to do a follow-up and maybe an opportunity to uh, ask her directly a question. Yes, which means you have to be compliant. So we're going to do this properly. And uh, yes, and if anything comes up, just let me know. I'm going to type all this up and get it to you by tomorrow. Some things we didn't have time to talk about. So if you have any questions about what I'm going to send you, just let me know. But overall, it's simple, just hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with, with hard. Great. I appreciate it. Um, Again, the listeners out there, thanks again. I hope you enjoyed. Stay, stay tuned for more. Everybody out there, have a great day. Well, thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. Mary is just a delight, and I just love talking to her. I could go on for hours. So she gave me a lot of um, homework, and honestly, it's a little daunting. She does not mess around. She takes it very serious. And it seems like she holds her clients to a very high level of personal responsibility. So I know myself, I've you know, practiced responsibility and kind of willpower for a long time. But even this looks like it's going to be challenging. And I think I am up for the challenge and I'm really excited to see what happens. And I will report back to the audience to let you folks know what that protocol was and how it's helped or didn't. Um, again, thank you for listening. If you know somebody you think would enjoy this episode, please share it.
and I hope you stay tuned for more. And don't forget, if you haven't checked out the membership at the Mindful Movement, it's a great way to support the Mindful Movement. It's a lot of fun. And if you have any questions about it, just shoot us an email and we'll see if it's a good fit for you. Have a great day.